Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football program had a fantastic haul in the 2023 recruiting cycle. And that's a good thing because they're going to have to rely on some of these freshmen sooner rather than later. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast and also the lead staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. And before we get into this Friday edition of Locked On Gamecocks, I want to let y'all know that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So it's gotten a little bit quiet on the recruiting trail for Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football program. Or at least that is, there hasn't been a whole lot of public news that has come out for, surprisingly, the last couple of weeks. But as we've talked about before, Shane Beamer and this staff put in a lot of silent work on the recruiting trail. And so while they continue to do this and while some of these prospects maybe figure out when they're going to commit, which for a couple of them could be in the next couple of months, let's take another look back at South Carolina's 2023 recruiting class and more specifically three true freshmen who are going to be very important for the South Carolina football program in spring practice and I tried really hard to stray away from a couple of obvious picks here I do have one but I have a couple others that might catch y'all's eye a little bit so let's go ahead and dive into this discussion starting off with offensive lineman Marquis Anderson this is my obvious pick here as a freshman who is going to be vital for this team in spring practice and my reasoning for this is pretty simple South Carolina, as much as they got some top-notch, high-end skill talent returning at the quarterback position and also some of the skill positions on the offensive side of the ball, which involves a completely reloaded tight end room that is headlined by Arkansas transfer Trey Knox, South Carolina has lost a ton of experience on the offensive line. And this is sort of a storyline that is somewhat flying under the radar, at least so far, this offseason, the Gamecocks lost guys like center Eric Douglas, right guard Javon Gwen, and right tackle Dylan Wonham. And here's the thing. At a couple of these spots, there's no real heir apparent at this current point in time. And so when you look at the guard position, you have guys like Ja'Kai Moore, Vershawn Lee, John Darius Morgan, Trey Jones, and Ryan Brubaker who are all right now slotted at this guard slot, all scholarship players. And the thing is, these guys either have never really started a game or gotten a whole lot of playing time, or if they have, their play has been inconsistent at best, to be quite honest. And this is where Marquis Anderson comes into the fold. 
South Carolina's new offensive line coach, Lonnie Teasley, he's going to need a couple guys to step up at the guard position. And I have no doubt that South Carolina's football staff is going to be looking for this to take place, obviously, a lot quicker and have this happen in the spring period. And this spring practice period is going to be the first time ever that Marquis Anderson is suiting up in a jersey and a helmet and actually participating in practice with his new teammates here at South Carolina. But what have we talked about before with Marquis Anderson? He is a solid, balanced offensive lineman. He is a good run blocker. He can go upfield. He can move laterally quite well. He's also a solid pass blocker. And again, he told Lou Bajak of the state newspaper when he was about to enroll at South Carolina in January that his mindset is to come in here and work hard and be a starter in the fall. So Marquis already got the mentality, but as everyone knows, it is tough for high school offensive linemen to transition to the college ranks this quickly. But Marquis Anderson could be the guy that could pull it off. And honestly, looking at the roster, South Carolina's football coaching staff might want to see that take place. So Marquis Anderson's the most important freshman out of this early enrollee group in spring practice. The second most important true freshman is Jalon Kilgore at the safety spot. And this is one that maybe a few weeks ago I would not have said, but due to some recent events involving a couple of other true freshmen on this football team right now, there's no question that Jalon Kilgore, he's going to have to probably grow up a little bit quicker than he was going to be allowed in what was going to be deemed as normal circumstances. But right now, South Carolina is not dealing with that safety as Cameron Upshaw Jr. and Anthony Rose, of course, both got in trouble in that incident earlier this winter with Montague Rames. Both of these guys are probably in lesser trouble than Montague, but at the same time, it doesn't look like that either guy is going to be participating in spring practice at this moment in time, and obviously we won't speculate any further regarding that ongoing investigation and what all could happen with those guys, but as of this current moment, the other two notable backups really that you have here behind DQ Smith and Nick Evanwory are Peyton Williams and BJ Gibson, and again, both these guys have seen some action at South Carolina so far in their career, but again, both of them inconsistent. In Peyton Williams' case, he's only entering his second spring practice in his college football career. And so Jalon Kilgore, a guy that in a sense kind of reminds me of Nick Emmett in terms of his ability to tackle running backs in open space, he's going to have to really step up here. He's probably going to be in the two deep when the original depth chart is released for spring practice. And again, I think that based on the film from his junior and senior seasons, Kilgore is a guy that won't take too long to adjust to life in the SEC. But again, he's going to have to do it at a much quicker rate, especially so that opposing offensive skill players are going to get solid looks and practice when the second group is going out there and running against the twos on the defensive side of the ball. And then the last important freshman or in this case, the last important first-year player. I will admit, I cheated a little bit with this one. I went with defensive lineman Elijah Davis, the JUCO transfer out of East Mississippi Community College, who was originally out of Wagoner Sally, South Carolina. And there's a pretty good reason why I put Elijah Davis here, and that's this. The edge position right now 
obviously is not looking so hot in terms of the depth. Obviously, you've got pretty much Desmond Umeo-Zulu, who again is another true freshman who just enrolled a month ago. Jordan Strine, who's coming off a torn ACL injury from this past fall, probably is not going to be 100% by the time spring practice rolls around. Terrell Dawkins, who also was plagued with injuries this past fall. Brian Thomas Jr., who is coming off of his true freshman campaign, and Tyreek Johnson, who's had multiple ACL injuries in his career. And Montague Rames, as we mentioned earlier to top it all off, is in very big trouble right now with a weapons charge and obstruction of justice charge. So right now, the defensive end position, it, it's certainly unstable in terms of who are going to be the ones and twos heading into spring practice. And this is where Elijah Davis may factor into the rotation here, because here's the thing. There's been a question proposed to Shane Beamer in the past month or so regarding whether or not Tonka Hemingway or Elijah Davis could potentially slide out, get bumped out to that edge position so that not only is there more depth, but you know, it could be a case of you're trying to just get your best four defensive linemen on the field. And because of that, somebody who might not be a traditional edge defender by trade has to go out there. Elijah Davis happened to play defensive end a lot in his high school days at Wagoner Sally High School. And along with Tonka Hemingway as well, both of these guys could wind up getting bumped out. Or if Tonka Hemingway gets bumped out, Elijah Davis could all of a sudden find himself potentially getting some first-team reps at the defensive tackle position. And either way you slice it, I think Elijah Davis is going to be, again, in that too deep come spring practice. So right now, Elijah Davis is listed at 6'3", 262 pounds. And that is a little bit off of what he was listed at from his 24-7 sports profile when he was a JUCO prospect, as he was listed at 280 pounds then. Is South Carolina's coaching staff getting him to drop some weight so that he could maybe bump out to the edge position? Who knows? We'll obviously find out more about all of that when spring practice actually starts. But again, in terms of the most important, I guess, first-year players heading into spring practice, in my opinion, it's definitely Marquis Anderson, Jalen Kilgore, and Elijah Davis. Now, of course, South Carolina spring practice is going to start up in around a month or so. But at the same time, we've still got some other seasons that are currently ongoing at this point in time, including South Carolina's women's basketball team, who is still currently undefeated and just wiped the floor with Florida last night. And here's the thing. When really thinking about their roster, if they're going to win another national championship, it could be because of the play of somebody that's not named Zaya Cook or Aaliyah Boston. Who am I talking about? We'll dive into all of that in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers made in a game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you continue your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game 
parlay. Again, my favorite NBA bet for this weekend, All-Star weekend, is for Team LeBron to win the All-Star game with the money line currently being slotted at minus 154. Again, I think that LeBron James is going to have a really great weekend at the All-Star festivities because of the fact he's broken the scoring record, so he doesn't have all that pressure resting on his shoulders at this point. He could just go out there and play even more loose and freely than he would have originally if he hadn't broke the record at this point. So don't miss out on your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Welcome back to this Friday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you for making Lockdown Gamecocks your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Lockdown College Basketball, where you'll find everything you need to know about college basketball in just one place. Plus, you'll hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Lockdown College Basketball is available on YouTube and also wherever you get your podcasts. Bree Beal could be the reason why South Carolina's women's basketball team repeats and wins their second straight national title in just a couple months' time. South Carolina defeated Florida 87-56 on Thursday night, and obviously, when you talk about South Carolina's women's basketball team, everyone always starts with Aaliyah Boston first, then probably Don Staley as well, as a 1B, and then you got Zaya Cook right behind them. And obviously, those three people play a big role in how well this program has done over the last four years or have played a big role and are continuing to do so this season. But when South Carolina makes the Elite Eight, the Final Four, the National Championship, who's going to step up when maybe Aaliyah Boston and Zaya Cook have an off game or they're getting so much attention from opposing defenders? The answer, in my opinion right now, is looking like Bree Beal. Because Bree Beal had a fantastic game offensively last night against the Florida Gators. She scored 14 points from the floor, made five of her seven shots on the court, and she made three of her four attempts from behind the three-point line. She also reeled in seven rebounds, three assists, and two blocks. Now, I know some of y'all might be sitting there and saying, well, Andrew, it's just one game. She could have just had a one-off where basically she was just seeing the hoop really well and she was just really feeling good last night. And I could understand why you might think that, but here's the thing. This game last night from Brie Beal sort of encapsulates what she has done in terms of her improvement in her game, especially on the offensive end up to this point in the season. Before this season, in the previous three years, Brie Beal was a career 27.6% three-point shooter, which is a little bit below average if we're going to sort of generalize it with a term. But this season, Brie Beal is shooting 42% from behind the arc. That is the best three-point shooting percentage out of all the Gamecocks on the team 
who have attempted at least 43 pointers this season. That group, by the way, also includes Zaya Cook. So, yeah, Brie Beal really stepped up her game in terms of her outside shooting. She's also on pace to post a career low in personal fouls and turnovers offensively. And she's already broken career marks for assists and blocks in a season. And the thing is, we've gotten over all of this, and we haven't even talked about her defensive prowess up to this point. Brie Beal, up to this point in her career, she already has been known as South Carolina's preeminent lockdown defender, who gets put usually on maybe the best guard on the floor for an opposing team. Everybody remembers, of course, that Final Four matchup this past season when South Carolina faced Louisville, who was led by guard Haley Van Lith, one of the better point guards in all of women's college basketball. And Haley Van Lith up to that point had been killing it in the NCAA tournament. I believe she was averaging a little bit shy of 20 points per outing at that point. And Brie Bill goes out there, and I believe when she was guarding Haley Van Lith, she only gave up 7 or 9 points to the star point guard for the Louisville Cardinals. That just tells you, in just one example, how important Brie Bill is to South Carolina just on the defensive end. But now Brie Bill is starting to match that with her progress that she has clearly made on the offensive end. And that is something that, again, makes South Carolina's women's basketball team even more dangerous. I've talked about this before, and it seems like a and it's going to sound like a broken record, but South Carolina is the deepest team in all women's college basketball. There is no team out there that can match up with South Carolina's starting lineup or their bench. There's just quite honestly no team out there that can possibly do that. But the thing is, if you want to win a championship, for South Carolina, admittedly, it's going to be a lot more difficult when you get to, obviously, these one-and-done type matchups. When you're playing in the Elite Eight, or the Final Four, or you're playing for the National Championship, and you've only got really two players that really and truly scare people on the offensive end. Now, obviously, Camilla Cardoso is somebody who's done quite well so far this season. She's almost averaging a double-double coming off of the bench. You've got other players who have been in big games, like Letitia Ami here. You've also got Akira Fletcher, who's starting at point guard. You've got Victoria Saxton at the four. You've got plenty of players who can have good scoring nights based on what their stat lines are up to this point. But the point is, South Carolina's main two scoring threats are Leah Boston and Zia Cook. In terms of players who can create shots for themselves or consistently make shots with, say, a defender right on them. Brie Beal needs to start being included now in that grouping because Brie Beal, in the last couple games, she has shown she can make three-pointers with a defender coming right at her at full speed. She is still good at driving into the paint and understanding the importance of weaving and finding the open space to where she can get the ball up and shield the ball with her body when an opposing defender tries to block her. Brie Beal has improved so much in multiple aspects of her game. It might not exactly match what Aaliyah Boston has done in terms of making all the tweaks that she's made to her game throughout her career, but I gotta say, if you gotta name a close second in terms of that particular aspect, 
I think that Bree Bill should be the answer there. So I just wanted to really emphasize that Bree Bill, she's making this team even better than it would have been originally if, say, they got the Bree Bill from her junior season or her sophomore season or her freshman year, which again, Bree Bill for the last three years has been a solid piece for this team, especially on the defensive end. But the scarier part now is she is starting to match that with her offensive play. So, again, every other opponent now, they have to respect that. It's going to open up the floor even more. Teams can't just basically sag off of Bree Beal just to try to double-team or triple-team Aaliyah Boston or Camila Cardoso. They can't do that anymore now. That is going to be important when they get into these bigger games come March Madness. Welcome back to today's edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. Opening day is officially here for South Carolina's baseball program. It has been over 240 days since the Gamecocks last took the field, and that game was against the Florida Gators in the first round of the SEC baseball tournament this past year, and obviously It ended in heartbreaking fashion. The Gamecocks lost an extra innings, and it capped off a, quite frankly, forgettable season for Mark Kingston and this baseball program. But this team now is coming back with some experienced players, both in the pitching staff and in the field. They've got some new weapons from the transfer portal and a couple guys from their recruiting class that they think can help them right away. But the question is, what do we think this team can do this season. Obviously, I want to hear all of y'all's opinions, whether you are listening to today's show on an audio podcast and you want to shoot me a message on Twitter or comment down below what you think they're going to do. I'm going to tell y'all real quickly my prediction, my sort of projection for how well this team is going to do this season. So in terms of series wins, both in non-conference play and conference play, I think the Gamecocks are going to Defeat UMass Lowell. I think they'll win their series against the Clemson Tigers. I think that they will sweep Bethune-Cookman. I think they'll sweep Missouri. I think they'll also beat Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Florida. I think they'll sweep Auburn and Kentucky. And I think the Gamecocks will also win their series against the Georgia Bulldogs. In terms of weekend series that I think they will lose... I got the Gamecocks dropping four this season. I think that the Gamecocks will lose their series against the LSU Tigers, which I believe they do host them in Founders Park. I think that they will lose to Arkansas. They're playing them all the way over in Arkansas. That's going to be a tough out for them. I do think they will lose the series to Tennessee at the end of the season, even though I know that obviously every Gamecock fan would love to see South Carolina get some revenge there against Tennessee for obvious reasons. And... I do think South Carolina will drop one non-conference series, and I think that will be against Penn. Not Penn State, the Ivy League school, Penn. And that's because Penn returns a lot of players from their team this past season. They actually won, I believe, 33-plus games, and they won a series against the Texas A&M Aggies early on this past year. So that is not a team to overlook, and I do think that will be the one series that the Gamecocks do drop in non-conference play. So in terms of a projected win total, giving y'all a rough estimate here, obviously, because it's hard to predict wins and losses when it comes to baseball, 
but I think South Carolina is going to win 39 games. That would be good enough to probably host a regional, honestly, in the NCAA regional. So why is it that I think South Carolina could win this many games, win this many series this season? Well, there's a couple different reasons. We'll start off with maybe the one that a lot of people will list as their number one reason, and that is their pitching staff. South Carolina has got a great pitching staff this season. I know, obviously, last year, the Gamecocks had their ups and downs, and a big reason why that was the case was some really bad injury luck, along with the fact that, honestly, they did not have the quality amount of arms that an SEC baseball program would usually like to trot out in 2022. That's not the case in 2023. The starting rotation is going to have some all-star pitching from guys like a Will Sanders, like a Noah Hall, and potentially Jack Mahoney if he can hold on to that third slot. But you've also got guys like Matthew Becker, Eli Jersenbeck, and also James Hicks, who comes off of his Tommy John surgery from this past year as some other options. And the bullpen is also deeper and has some more experience now under their belt. And that's going to be led, in my opinion, by a guy like Kate Austin. You'll also see somebody like Nick Proctor, Eli Jones play a bigger role this season. Brett Thomas as well, along with Chris Veach and some others. So, again, this pitching staff, they've got arms on top of arms that they're going to be able to put out there on the mound this year. And Mark Kingston and his staff will not be having to stand there in the dugout and basically hope that the pitcher can eat up a couple innings and not give up too much damage. That's not going to be the case in 2023, and I think that's going to be a big assist for this baseball program getting back to postseason play. The second reason why I think that this team could win 39 games is the great draw of road series that they got this season, at least the majority of them, because this team is going to have to go and play at Vanderbilt. They are going to have to play at Arkansas. Obviously, those are going to be two very tough series, but here's the thing. They're also playing against teams like Georgia, Mississippi State, and Kentucky all on the road. Georgia is expected to take a step back this year. I believe that they lost some real star power from their pitching staff. Mississippi State, they're projected to still be the worst team in the SEC West. I don't know what all is going on over there in Starkville. And granted, it is not easy to win at Mississippi State, but... I do think that South Carolina has enough talent and, again, has a good enough transfer haul to where they're going to overcome anything the Mississippi State brought in from this past offseason. Then the Kentucky Wildcats. South Carolina has dominated Kentucky, honestly, in baseball for the last couple of years. Kentucky has been a pretty tough out in years past, but since they got this new-looking cinder block ballpark up there in Lexington, South Carolina has uh, dominated the Wildcats, honestly. I believe that they actually have won five of the last six games against Kentucky. So I think that their road series draws are really, really good considering the competition that they're going to have to play overall this season. And then my last reason why I think that this team could win 39 games, could host a regional site this year, is the leadership of the older guys that are coming back from last season. There's been some reports that some guys like Will Sanders, Noah Hall, Jack Mahoney, so obviously the three starting pitchers, ironically enough, right there, and some other guys as well have a bad taste in their mouth from this past season. And honestly, they should because 
South Carolina's baseball program is a historic program. It's one of the better baseball programs in all of college baseball. They have the facilities. They have the tradition. They actually have some national championships to point to. When this program is running on all cylinders, this is a perennial Omaha baseball program. South Carolina wants to get back to that. Obviously, that might be setting the bar extremely high for this team considering what they did this past season, but... I do think that there's something to be said for guys who are basically standing up in the locker room or standing up in the weight room and saying, we do not want a repeat of last season, and we are not going to allow a repeat of last season to happen this time around. I think that that's important. Obviously, when it comes to baseball, you can't play with your emotions 24-7 because if you do, usually that's going to bite you in the end. But I think that South Carolina's baseball program is channeling all of that negative energy from last season, the frustration, the embarrassment of the fact that, again, it was the first losing season over two decades. They don't want that to happen again, and I think that that will play a big role in how these guys end up performing on the baseball diamond in 2023. So with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show, as always. What are your thoughts on the three most important freshmen or first-year players for the Gamecocks in spring practice? Do you agree with my selections, or do you think that you would name some other players on the list? What are your thoughts on Bree Beal and how much she's improved offensively and how much she could help this team secure their second straight national championship in women's college basketball? And lastly, how good do you think the baseball team is going to do this upcoming season? Let me know your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube or shoot me a direct message at a line underscore SC on Twitter. And I'll try to respond to your message as quickly as I see it. And once again, don't forget to make Locked On College Basketball your second listen or watch now that you have watched or listened to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. Happy opening day, everybody. Have a great time at the ballpark. Have a great rest of your Friday and a fantastic weekend. And I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.